0: For rocking with us. Check it. Check it. Julie, kick off the show.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Crazy and the King. What's popping?
0: Let me tell you something real. Le- listen, uh, I saw an announcement that came through and said, uh, well, HR Tech is making folks show their vaccination. Like, even New York, you got to show your vaccination to be able to eat indoors. How, yep. how do you feel about that? Like, I just came oh, straight to it today. How you yeah, feel?
1: No, I, I mean, I approve. I, I want to yep. go some places where I feel like I can travel and be safe and also not worry about making other people sick. Um, no doubt. HR tech in particular, I was like, holy shit, we're. 30 days out. Um, how's that going to impact things? So from a business perspective, I think it's going to be learning, but they joined what New York, uh, the city of Toronto, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders this week and all who said, you want to come pop with us. You got to have your vaccine card. So a huge shift very quickly in our corporate settings about how we're going to manage this stuff.
0: Yeah, I think it's a big deal. And and so big, you know, a number of organizations a couple of weeks ago made the announcement. Some of them have since pulled back on the announcement from the standpoint of not so much demanding the vaccination, but delaying whether or not people will come back to the office. Mm-hmm. But I think the writing is the handwriting, as they say, is on the wall that a number of places, uh, whether it be community, whether it be corporate, whether it be political, religious, I think a number of organizations are just going to say, we, we, we got to put a hard line in the sand and we're going to have to make uh, a bit of that tough decision. I I appreciate it, if you will. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. I, I will also say that just um, as a shout out for Tracy Spannenberg and Federico Reyes and uh, Jeffrey Shapiro and a couple of others that do HR on the house clubhouse on Fridays at 12 p.m. Eastern. I know they're going to be talking about that this Friday uh, on Clubhouse. It's HR on the house, uh, Clubhouse at 12 p.m. Eastern. Hey, so listen, uh, lighten it up a little bit. Uh, I've been reading some great books. I got a great one in front of me right now. It's called The Eagles of Heart Mountain by Bradford Pearson. And it talks about the Japanese internment camps, football, uh, and world, world War II in America. So I've been reading some great books this summer checked out a couple of good flicks on Netflix. Uh most recently looked at Beckett and I watched uh the Black Godfather Clarence Avon. Have have you checked out anything like to take your mind off of adulting, as they say?
1: <laughs> Unfortunately documentaries further my adulting most of the okay. time. But right. Beckett and the Black Godfather are both on our Netflix watch list. We added Beckett this weekend, I think Black godfather's been on for a while so i'm pumped about both of those actually i added a book to my audible this morning called woke inc like as an in incorporated um by v- i'm gonna do it vivek ramza swami um okay. and its subtitle is inside corporate america's social justice scam and Vivek was on MSNBC this morning and he was like, hey, what you and I say all the time, don't fall for the watch what I say and not what I do. That comes out of a lot of corporate America's progressive messaging and, and social justice messaging and talks about how we have to keep corporations accountable for the words that they put out. and." I think there's going to be a lot of like controversial stuff in there that like, maybe I'm like, mm, maybe no, that's a little, little too great for me even. Um, but I think it will help any D&I leader. And I'll let you guys know next month when I'm finished re- listening to it, if I'm right, I think it will help any corporate D&I leader or consultant like hone that message of action and accountability because we, we really are, I think at that turning point And what sounds like the data and the examples that's probably going to be the core of this book, um, I think a lot of it is going to be a good challenge for us. So I'm pumped about getting that one in.
0: So I'm going to lean on you on this one because I I really do. I'm I'm not going to purchase it. I want to wait to hear your feedback. So please make a note on your calendar, you know, three weeks from now, four weeks from now to to make it a point for us to chat about what was in the book because i'm reading the summary on amazon and just real quick it says vivek is a traitor to his class he's founded multi-billion dollar enterprises led a biotech company became a hedge fund partner in his 20s trained as a scientist at harvard yale lawyer child of immigrants and now he takes us behind the scenes into corporate boardrooms and five-star conferences um, to reveal the defining scam of our century. This is a really interesting way to describe who the author is and his pedigree, if you will. And so certainly I am very, very interested in, um, your summary, your observation of the book woke Ink by Vivek Ramaswamy Rama or Rama Swami love that. Well, the reason why I asked about, you know, this Entertainment stuff, if you will, is because PBS uh, has uh, announced an initiative to increase programming um, that's diversity related. So I want each and every one of you to find the article uh, at, at. that lists or talks about uh, PBS, and it says PBS announces initiatives to increase uh, diversity programming. And basically, they are spending somewhere in the neighborhood of $5 million or so. Let me see what this is. Yeah. So, PBS and CPB gave Firelight Media $5.5 million to support its Firelight Documentary Lab and two other programs over a three year period. Now, Five and a half million doesn't sound like a lot of money based on some of the budgets I've seen to create television content, entertainment content, but I'm not going to. What's the word? Be smudge. I think I just probably made that word up.
1: I think you're right. Okay, so I'm certain.
0: Yeah, I'm just not trying to minimize it. You know, the bottom line is if you got some great friends out there that are in the entertainment space, they're great with a keyboard. They're awesome with a journal and a pen. They've got some incredible ideas. Encourage them to maybe submit some of those ideas to PBS or platforms like PBS and so many of the others out there that are yearning for talent. I was actually on Sirius XM this week and in t- on two different occasions, I heard people say that one of the things that's missing in our landscape are books about positive books for young black boys, mid age, you know, eight to 12, eight to 13 years old. There's not a lot of positive material for young black boys. So there's still room for us to use that creative juice that we have.
1: Yeah, no, I think this is awesome. One thing, well, two things that stood out to me. One is that they specifically called out identifying underrepresented populations and assisting those filmmakers. And I thought their choice of underrepresented population was interesting. Native Americans, Pacific Islanders, gotcha. Um, People based in the South, Midwest, and US territories. So I can tell you being a Midwesterner, um, I've never felt like my voice was underrepresented, especially as a, as a white Midwesterner. Um, so I think that's interesting how they're going to approach some of this storytelling in diverse geographies, um, you know, which maybe is just missing from entertainment because we're coastal entertainment kind of people other than I feel like there's a lot of Midwesterners on reality TV. Um, And so I I think that's interesting, but I also loved uh, the part at the bottom of the article where it says that producers are also going to have to put DEI plans in place. So it's a multi-level, right? It's critical to get creators. um, And I, I absolutely, absolutely love that. But also thinking about what does the inclusion of your, crew look like and your your actors and and all of that stuff so very excited very cool
0: absolutely and we'll include the link to the article that we are referencing in our show notes you might find it on another platform but again encourage your friends that are out there working and developing story ideas and kind of tucking them away on the shelf maybe dust a few of those off you know i smiled julie i think i've told you this before but i actually wrote like a um the archetype for a, a show back in like 2011 oh, yeah. and I think my, my, my number, my uh, SAG type number, it expired or something like that. But anyway, um, great story PBS. We appreciate you for, for doing that lightly. I wanted to share a tweet that was on the Illyria Twitter feed. And I love the folks over at Illyria uh, and it's spelled A L E R I A P B C Illyria. PBC. And this tweet was done on August 17th. It says to create a more inclusive hiring experience for neurodivergent candidates by providing interview questions to them beforehand so they have time to prepare answers, ensure expectations are clear and ask if any accommodations Can be made. That was the inclusion tip uh, done by JK Riggins, Jennifer Riggins, who is a tech storyteller, a journalist, and uh, she does a couple of other things. And she's the mother of a four year old. So a beautiful thing. Hey, you know what? I want to just drop back real quick. You talked about the Midwest. I meant to say this before we move to PBS. Just in reference to the Midwest, I just think about, and I'm often reminded, Julie, of my time matriculating through high school, becoming an adult, and going into the military. And I just think about how much I've learned since leaving Davenport, Iowa. And so, yes, they, on through your observation, you feel like there are a lot of folks, at least in the reality space, from the Midwest that may be focused. But I'm like, That is interesting that they said the South and the Midwest. And I think about it from the standpoint of how much of history I didn't learn because of the way the system was structured, because of the way our school system prioritized certain information. So I do think that it's kind of interesting, like you said, that they did call out the Midwest and said, we're not going to focus so much on the uh, coastal places, but we want that creative content from specific geographies here in the U.S.
1: Yes. And since we're kind of back and forth today, the Illyria quote, fantastic, great. But keep in mind that what's good for one candidate is usually good for every candidate, especially when we're talking about people with disabilities. So everyone loves to focus on neurodivergence. We're super cool right now. I get it. But helping someone have it, providing those same processes to someone who has been out of a job for a while, who's a returning veteran, who suffers from anxiety, mental illness, PTSD, all of those things can be universally designed to make a candidate experience much better and help underrepresented groups get to work. That's all I'll Absolutely.
0: say. Great tip. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, here, real quick note for uh, all of our listeners, Julie and I are working on trying to Edit how we put our show together. So uh, stay tuned. Over the next couple of weeks, you'll probably hear a different style of delivery. Uh, But for now, we'll hear from one of our advertisers.
1: kickoff from the CEO leadership report for 2021. Fill us in.
0: Yeah, you know, so I I couldn't uh, remember uh, in terms of preparation, but we had talked about a couple of shows back how uh, a number of CEOs had a, a negative or a distant feel, taste, if you will, for diversity and inclusion efforts. And We highlighted it. We talked about it. It was somewhere in, uh, I want to say, the beginning of July, middle of July, um, if you will. But this report came out just a couple of days ago and it came from DDI and DDI actually did some research and they talked to more than 368 CEOs, they talked to a little more than twenty one hundred human resource professionals, and quite frankly, I am sure that they probably gathered a bit of data from a few more people that I just counted. And what stood out for me, one of the things that stood out inside of the report, is that forty six percent of CEOs said that they do not know how to build an inclusive environment, and so that absolutely caused me pause. Like if you heard that. Forget reading the report, just in hearing that, Julie, 46% of a group of leaders, top of their game, titans of industry, don't know how large the companies are for the 368, but the point is, they are at the very top of the organization, and they don't know how to build an inclusive environment. That, to me, on its face, is problematic.
1: So- Different perspective. I think that it is remarkable that you got 48% to answer honestly. The other, let's say 50%, let's say two actually know how to do it well, the other 50% are bullshitting you, right? And it's like Titans of industry are not taught. To build inclusive environments, they're taught to build wealth, to build execution, to build efficiencies, to build empires. And the reason that so much DEI work is failing in corporations is that so much of the C-suite or whomever who doesn't actually have experience building inclusive environments think that they can And then they get frustrated and move on. So I think like, hey, not bad. I'll take 48%.
0: So you know what? You actually sound like Ruchi Tolsian, my dear friend out in um, the Seattle area. Ruchi says exactly the same thing that you said. She said, you know, I feel like this is a she didn't use the word seminal, but it's a very important and beautiful moment because they felt comfortable sharing. We don't know what we're doing. Yeah. And so I I like that you landed there as well. And and it really is interesting that, you know, in the report, it says that the CEOs are worried. They're worried about their own performance. They're worried about the performance of their executive teams. uh, And they're worried about the leadership potential of next generation talent. And so I'm going to go back to something that you said because you didn't write this down. And so I want to operate in the moment on that. You delineate it the ways in which they are developed, the mm-hmm. areas in which they normally would focus, and most of those areas are for the most part connected to the bottom line and so i guess I guess the the beauty in this is the fact that you know what listen this forty six percent have raised their hand and said you know i don't I don't know what I'm doing and so Wouldn't it be a signal to you that at this particular point, we should have a flurry of requests for support for consultants for resources? I mean, it should. So, so let me say it a different way. Then we shouldn't read a bunch of reports, the remainder of 2021, all of 2022, none of 2023, four or five of ERGs of CDOs and others that are doing diversity related work being underfunded is that a fair statement
1: oh i think that's 100% of a fair statement and that is that's the difference right i say this every day when i'm talking to companies you might be interested in diversity but until we start to see those dollars and those resources and that commitment to strategy and KPIs, you're not committed. Call me back when you're ready to commit. Right now, you're just interested. You're, you're playing the woke game, right? I think it's super positive that 48% are like, okay, I finally am acknowledging that there's some importance here and I don't know how to do it.
0: Yep. And let me let me correct myself because I said it the wrong way. So let me clean it up so that in the recording we are safe and covered. The study actually found that 48 percent of those C-level execs felt effective at creating an inclusive environment. Oh, okay. Fifty three percent reported that they are effective at demonstrating empathy. And 61% said that they are very effective in communicating and interacting with others. And certainly that communication and interaction is extremely important. And I would go so far as to say that that is, you know, the that's the foundation of doing uh, you know, D and I work and being inclusive, that you understand how to communicate, that you do well with interacting and that you do have some degree of empathy. So it's a little <laughs> bit confusing because yeah. it, di- it did say the CEOs in one portion of the report, and then it came back and said the C-level execs. So in order for you all to read it, you will have to register on the DDI website. It's a bit uh challenging, but the point being is we have a lot of work to do. And we don't say that in a way that's laborious and tiresome. We just simply say that that we got a lot of work to do and I'm looking forward to doing the work.
1: Uh every day. That's what we get out of bed for, right? To do the Absolutely. work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, really and, and good let me stuff. tell you.
0: And let me tell you there were four points and and we'll roll out on this story, but four four other points that stood out in the article were Uh, developing future talent is an imperative, of course, for CEOs. C-suite leadership uh, quality is dwindling against the rising benchmarks. I'm assuming those rising benchmarks are coming from shareholders um, as well as coming from stakeholders. People are expecting more. Uh, And it's actually, it's high time that people expect more of them because for so long, much was expected of the people that are at the bottom. Do the work yep. of two and three people. You know, you know that thing. Yep. Uh, the third thing that came out: CEOs and executives need development and support to be more effective in their roles. And then, last but not least, many CEOs are not leveraging HR strategically to align their businesses with talent needs. That that's yep. a bit of a surprise for me. Well, that that supports that suggests that HR needs to step up, show well, their voice.
1: I think that what HR needs to do is stop. Selling itself short. HR should not be begging for dollars and acting like they're a bane to the existence of the company. They should be a cost center that helps save money everywhere else. They are a valuable asset within the organization. Talent acquisition is critical. And too often, the C suite is treating HR, talent acquisition, um, and workforce development like sort of the redheaded stepchildren of the the operations side of the house when again what you and i always say people are our most critical asset and we need to be leveraging hr ta professionals and workforce development professionals to meet the needs of the the three things you talked about before that and hr needs to stop apologizing for existing they have a purpose
0: yeah I think you know some out there listening might take issue. I think I heard you say that they need to be a call center that shows and supports value throughout the organization. Did I hear that correctly?
1: Yeah, probably not stated perfectly. I just okay. my point is is that h r has value, and too often they come to the table sort of grovelling and apologizing instead of saying, Your company exists because we do our job and we need to have more resources to do it better. And here's how we can positively impact these KPIs. I'm not just a cost.
0: I think you hit it right on the head. Absolutely. Uh, And because that beautiful voice hit it right on the head, why don't you take us into Her Voice?
1: Oh, so yes. So Her Voice segment sponsored by someone.
0: Uh, We still have question marks. I
1: know. Why is that?
0: stepped up. And I know we have some incredible listeners out there. So come on listeners. Like as we round out the summer and, you know, point our sales towards Q4 of 2021, we want to use the Her Voice segment to amplify incredible women, things that are related to women, actions, movement, big announcements related to women. This is where we want to amplify them and we'd love to have a sponsor. So who's yeah. our first one?
1: And, and who doesn't want to support women, right? Yeah. Um, so the Maven Clinic, uh, women's and health family care provider announced that it has raised $110 million in funding at a valuation of more than $1 billion, making it the first U.S.-based company in that sector. So serving women to achieve what we all love to call in uh, in m and and venture capital world, unicorn status.
0: Yep, it really is a big deal. And I actually went to the Maven uh, website. It's mavenclinic.com. And the first thing that I did, Julie, when I saw that announcement, it was to look at who, who who who's in leadership. So I looked at the board of directors. I looked at the scientific board, which is the way that they have it broken down. It doesn't have the C-suite there, but from what I can tell on the board of directors and the scientific board, pretty diverse. Yeah, so I appreciate that.
1: Um, so another one that you and I have been focusing on a lot lately, women gained a net 13 seats on the board of directors of S&P 500 companies this year, which means that women now hold 30% of board seats across the S&P 500 for the first time.
0: Yeah. Averaging somewhere in the neighborhood of three out of the 11 board seats. So if we are looking at on average, most organizations in the S and P 500, if they have 11 people on their board, 3.3, 3. I don't know how you get to the point 0.3, but 3.3 3 of them happen to be women. And speaking of, um, Stacy Brown, Philpott, you might remember that name, Stacey Brown Philpot, from TaskRabbit. And if you don't know her from TaskRabbit, she actually used to work at Google, was very strong, powerful, accomplished at Google, took the helm uh, over at TaskRabbit. At some point, she didn't go into the organization as a CEO, but she grew into the CEO role. Uh, she is now the first woman to join the board of StockX. StockX is something even my my Kings told me about StockX. I had no idea who StockX wow. was. My kings told me about StockX. Uh, real quick, before we get out of the Her Voice segment, I have to mention my dear friend, my dear, dear friend. Uh, I'm, I'm just smiling at the work that she, she does. I remember the first time I met Mary Spile back in 2014, and I was like, you are amazing. <laughs> like, that's just what I said. I looked, I looked at her, Julie, and I was like, you are amazing that was the only thing that I could say, because what she was talking about, like when you talk about like the elevator going over your head. Yes, I heard her. I I lingered on the words. It made sense. But I was like, this is some wild stuff. Well, Mary, uh, she is the founder of Seek VR. That's C-E-E-K-V-R. Um, she's raised millions of dollars in venture capital and her product has generated billions of dollars, uh, for organizations. And her company is now positioned as a real, real contender in the global VR headset market space. And it's a space that's expected to hit 442 billion. I'm sorry. $44 $44 billion by 2027. So Mary's playing in a very, very big, bold, beautiful sandbox, and I'm absolutely rooting for her. A couple of quick mentions. Let's get out of here.
1: Yep. So Hispanic Heritage Month Toolkit. We've been talking about this for a while. We're getting super close. So if you haven't started planning for September 15th through October 15th, uh, Veronica Cool of Kuhl & Associates, um, HispanicToolkit.com.
0: Absolutely. And the course Kapoor Center, K A P O R, Kapoor Center is hosting Breaking Down the Meritocracy Myth in Tech uh, with the filament on eight twenty five. That would be next Wednesday at two PM. Not sure if that's two PM Eastern, Central, Western, but go to the Kapoor Center and you'll figure out how to break down the myth in technology. And real quick, Morgan Stanley's Multicultural Innovation Lab is accepting applications for their next cohort um, until September 16th. And the reason I bring this up is because I sat down earlier this year um, with Carla um, Carla Harris from Morgan Stanley, and we had an incredible conversation. Unleash has it on their website. Carla is a titan on Wall Street. One of the things that we talked about was this multicultural innovation lab, which she was instrumental in bringing to life. And so I absolutely want to encourage each and every one of you to go click on the link and learn a bit more about it. Who's your name drop?
1: Um, so Hung Lee, who we're all a fan of, we've all been a part of, uh, recruiting brain food or check it out every Friday morning. If you haven't, um, he has invited our oldest to be a part of a young career, um, panel discussion this Friday morning, based on some, some really cool data analysis that isoms did on Gen Z, um, and what their expectations are in the workplace. So thanks Hung. Very excited for Friday morning.
0: Awesome. And- awesome. Awesome.
1: Yeah, and so, and and just really quick, not a name drop, but just sort of a, a, a keep on your mind, keep on your radar. This week has been really tough on a lot of our veterans who are seeing the end of the Afghan War. No matter how you feel about that, come to fruition, and how they feel about their service. I think a lot of them are are having similar feelings to how Vietnam veterans felt. I know that we as Americans are not going to treat them like we treated our, our veterans from Vietnam, but we do, if you've got veterans on your team, just take a minute and let them know you're thinking them, thanking them for their service, and asking how they are, right? It's not just enough to say, hey, buddy, thanks for your service. Hey, this is probably a shitty week for you. Jason Kander um, had a fantastic tweet about it, about how he was feeling as an Afghan vet, and just take that moment to check in on the veterans in your life. Also a pretty tough week for women. Um, watching the fall of, of Afghanistan for me as a woman personally has been very emotional because I recognize that we've raised a generation of women who are the same age as as my daughters and the Kings who've had an expectation of some freedoms and, and access And you're even hearing about them burning their degrees and their diplomas so that they don't get outed as educated women. We've got to do better. And I think the women of America are carrying a lot of us are carrying that heavy on their hearts and thinking about how do we take some action this week?
0: Yeah, I got to tell you, I double, uh, double underscore, double click, double heart, double like, double all of that. You know, our empathy quotient should be high. Uh, For those individuals in Afghanistan, equally as high it should be for the people in Haiti who just seem to run uh, into catastrophe, catastrophe after catastrophe after catastrophe. And so I just think that when we are honest with ourselves and we kind of step outside of our own self interests and our personal pursuits, if you will, when you think about situations like Afghanistan, when you think about what people in Haiti are going through and so many other places around the globe to include here in the United States, it's often best for us to just sometimes say that it could absolutely be worse and that we shouldn't be so quick to judge, to comment. We should sometimes just simply sit in silence and try to be um, a supportive ally, if you will. So consider donating to, organizations uh that you trust that you feel will absolutely help the people that you feel need to be helped uh consider volunteering time for organizations just consider being as we often say a better human building better teams building better work environments and doing that even if we are in a remote capacity that we don't necessarily be in, have to be inside of the same cubicle the same corridor the same hallway for us to be a better human like reading stories of aggression elevating over zoom is interesting to me because some could blame it on the pandemic and the stress and the frustration but others have to blame it on just being poor humans and so i just encourage each and every one of us julie also encourages each and every one of us to just be better for now jay and i are ghosts see ya